Happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, Amy Lee San Juan on the Twitters, and I'd like to welcome you back to another amazing episode of Cisco Champion Radio. Today we have an exciting topic. We will be talking about Meraki cameras and sensors and how they're helping us solve some pretty relevant business problems. As always, to give you the goods, we have an amazing panel of experts and Cisco champions to guide this conversation and deliver what you want to know. All right, so we're going to get started with a round of introductions and then get into the topic itself. All right, George, we'll start with you. Can you introduce yourself and what it is you do at Cisco? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is George Benting. I'm the Director of Product Management for IoT and Edge Intelligence, which, as you said, is cameras and sensors. And yeah, I think that's where I'll start and I'll hand over to uh, who's next. GJ. Hi, my name is Gert-Jan de Boer. I'm uh, a CTO for a Dutch uh, reseller. In short, I go by GJ because my name is uh, pretty unpronounceable. And my Twitter handle is at GJ de Boer. Great. Robinson, you're up next. Hi, all. My name is Robinson Roca. I am the practice leader for network and security for Helion Systems. Uh, I am uh, a Cisco champion for about two years now and have been living the life. <laughs> Paul, last but not least. Uh, Paul Campbell. I'm the CEO and founder of Quiversal. Uh, we're a Cisco partner here in the Southeast USA. Um, very excited about the topic today. Big advocate of Meraki. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at PaulMC3. Awesome. Okay, George, can you provide us a bit more background? Set us up here. What are we talking about today? I like to think of these things abstractly. So let's start there, which is, imagine this, uh, you are me for a day and you are uh, looking at building a camera um, and uh, you think about the fact that cameras record video. Now, when I want to think about how we offer like really strong value to our customers, you got to think abstractly about why they want to do certain things. And so when I was thinking about cameras and me and the team were working on the cameras for the first time, it was this idea of like, why do people want cameras? Um, and uh, people say, well, they want video. And then, so why do they want video? And then they, people say, well, it's for security. But why, why do they want video for security? And so if you keep going down this uh, path, eventually you come to the idea that cameras are a source of information. And when you think about why people want information, they typically have a question, which is, who stole my bicycle? Uh, did I give that person a 20 or a 50? Uh, was that person uh, shoplifting or had they already paid for that item? Um, why is my trash can on the other side of the street today and not uh, on this side of the street today? So this abstract way of thinking about cameras leads us to sort of consider them as sensors and rather than uh, being a product manager for a video camera where I want to show you video I don't want to show you video I, I sort of have this idea that we should not show you video we should give you the answer to your question now this is a very lofty goal <laughs> not necessarily possible most of the time but one of the things at Meraki is we are in this privileged position to understand how our devices are being used with great granularity. 
And one of the stats that has always intrigued me about the camera industry is how much video do people really watch? And I've seen numbers sort of bounded around, um, but we know really well how much video people watch. Now, we don't know what they watch because we can't see what customer video is recorded and what people watch, but we know how much of it that they watch. And it is truly less than 1%. So we have these petabytes of data distributed across all our cameras around the world, and less than 1% of it is watched. And then you think about how much of what you watch is useful, there's really a tiny fraction of the amount of information in that that's actually genuinely useful in answering your question. And so there's the need to try and automate, and automate to simplify, simplify being sort of the core Tamaraki's uh, ethos, and we can start doing that for very complex sensor data, like video data, which is very rich, as we embrace new technologies such as machine learning, which is what we've been doing on the camera. However, you can't sense some things with a camera that easily at all. Like You cannot tell how hot it is with a normal non-thermal camera that easily. And thermal cameras are quite expensive. So how do we detect these other attributes? How do we quantify other things in the physical world? And that's where we start looking at these additional types of sensors that come into play when we're trying to answer a question. And often video provides incredible context for other sensor data sets. So like, why is it really hot in my rack? Oh, someone left the door open with all the fans that are on the rack cabinet door, and they're now not blowing into the rack, they're blowing into the room, and I can see that from the camera. So this is a, the overarching idea is to get useful information so that people can understand the real world in their business or in their school uh, or their university or their manufacturing facility and make better decisions. But importantly, and this is back to sort of the very heart of Meraki, it's just make the infrastructure disappear. You don't worry about the servers. You don't worry about all of these things to make it work. You worry about doing the things that are important to your business or to your manufacturing facility or to your school or whatever. And so that's where we are at. We've been on the camera journey for a few years now. We've been on the sensor journey for a few months now. And it's all pretty exciting and there's a lot to, there's a lot to do. But I think that's where I'm going to sort of set the, the sort of uh, the theme for, for this conversation and I'll, I'll throw it open to any questions. You know, I, it's something interesting. I, um, a few years ago, I, well, more than a few years ago now, I worked on building the um, World Trade Center network, security network. And I didn't do the cameras and I didn't do the sensors that they have involved in all that. But um, I did get a chance to work with them on building the infrastructure they needed in order for to work. But I walked away from all that with um, understanding that there was a, a lot of programming involved in order for a camera to record when a door opened or a door was closed, right? That, there was a lot of work that went into that. And essentially what you're saying is if a sensor is tripped, a camera is recording and I've got an instant answer as to what door, what camera started recording and the details around that without having to search through video. Is that what we're saying here? Not necessarily. That's like one permutation that you could have using, say, our camera and one of our door open close sensors. But you could also do it in other ways. So you could do it through detecting from the camera's perspective if the camera is like facing the door. Well, not something has moved, which is like the most 
basic level of interpretation of change in the video. Um, now, there are actually lots of different permutations of that uh, in how that is done and that affects the quality of it, but we're starting to look beyond that now. So when you're able to do not just the fact that the pixels have changed, but you can actually identify those pixels as certain types of objects, for example, a person, uh, you can start having like uh, greater context as to that activity. So on the Mac EMV, we can detect people. And so you could detect if you have two people walk in, but only one badge entry event. So this is much more likely to indicate a possible tailgating event or like poor uh, sort of... Uh, following of the rules by employees who should all badge in um, to make sure that we know who's in the building when there's a fire alarm or whatever. So yes, those type of things are are possible today with the data sets available from uh, the Meraki devices, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's ultimately the only goal. Um, I think the way that we try and think about the camera is it has evolved from physical security, and that's where there is close to a $30 billion global industry in physical security camera technology and systems and associated components. But wouldn't it be better if like that 99% of the time where it's not giving any value, it provided you some value? So how do we think about the camera as this more generic sensor where physical security is an application which it provides information to than purely a security tool? Uh, because then it's, it's better value because it's worth more to you or you get more from your investment so so digging into the sensors around like thermostats right <clears throat> so i think about a really large iot building um, that i helped design and coverage in that has to be huge right if you have an internet of things building going on where everything's talking all over the place to all sorts of systems uh, outages and things like that are are bad so when it comes to the thermostat, thermostat sensors, what I was thinking was in that building, we still had a lot of legacy style setup when it came to certain, um, I'll just say certain other vendors that were outside of like networking and what a lot of us tend to do, right? So when you have an HVAC system, a lot of it still got to go back to the central controller. You got to have all these things and thinking about having Meraki sensors that we could place anywhere we wanted on any wall, et cetera, and being able to use the Meraki API to then send data to that HVAC controller, provided again, APIs are allowed, um, to say, hey, kick off into this zone or kick off into that zone uh, because we know that at this time of day, you know, this side of the building gets hotter than the rest. Because um, I've still seen even um, large swaths of office space that have like one central controller for the temperature for the entire floor. And you're talking, you know, sometimes hundreds of people were in the office and, you know, sometimes there's a lot of people crammed in one area, but there's only one thermostat and there's only one central point of data collection. Um, now, obviously this gets into, I am not an HVAC specialist. I, I'm not sure everyone has zone capabilities to do these, but a lot of them will, especially in an office space and being able to take actionable data over and send it into um, facilities or someone like that is just yet another positive advocacy towards um, you know the employee's benefit, right? You don't have people on the left side of the office baking like a turkey here coming up, and then the other half sitting over there freezing. So uh, that's that that's what comes to my mind when I see these uh, sensors and where my mind starts going about the excitement level. 
Yeah, I, I think I just want to quickly sort of do a 60 second to bring the audience up to speed because I've been talking pretty abstractly and I want to say that maybe everyone doesn't know exactly what we're talking about in terms of the new sensors that are out there, but there is a new, newish uh, in the last month uh, portfolio of marquee sensors called MT. They are all battery powered. Battery life is around five years or more, depending on how you use them. And they speak Bluetooth low energy to our cameras and access points. So the cameras and access points are the gateways. And there are three of them. There's a temperature and humidity sensor. There is a water leak sensor and there's a door open close sensor. And so in this example, we're talking about the, the temperature and humidity sensor. And I, I want to call out sort of like one of the, the, the things around making them wireless. I mean, as a company whose background is wireless and we just have uh, uh, such a history with that technology, it's sort of like a place we'd naturally start. But this ability to just put them anywhere. Um, firstly, it makes it the simplest Mackie product ever to deploy, which is just magical. This is why I decided to actually sort of take up the the the, the sort of go to market for this. I tried the prototype, and it it was really super basic. But I got given one of these things, and I just threw it in my backpack, and I went home. And then I realized I had data in my dashboard. I hadn't done anything. It's just like the batteries were in it, and I had the temperature of my bag. Uh, in the hallway uh, I was like wow like I really did nothing and now I have the data uh, and that's what got me fired up uh, to to sort of like bring this portfolio to market because the, the wireless drastically reduces the complexity to deploy but you can also put it where it really matters so in your example about like different groups of employees you could just stick one on their desk temporarily or move them around um, and there isn't this large cost in like wiring something in and it makes it very flexible to collect data wherever you want it. And so wireless, you don't often associate it with simplicity. <laughs> it's better than, I, I've definitely run into many situations with like interference and other things uh, in my uh, past career as a systems engineer doing wireless deployments where wireless wasn't as easy as uh, I would have liked. But for this type of thing where you just need your sensor telemetry, it is just magical. You just turn it on and that's it. it just work. This is the for me. I just this past. I mean, literally this past weekend, I had a customer who was moving from an older building to a newer building, and um, you know everything's been place. They forgot to get sensors for the APC units and the power supplies and the UPSs. They forgot all that. Um, they were very very worried about temperature, and. I happen to have had deployed Meraki access points and Meraki switching in the environment. So I turned around and said, hey, let's go order a couple of these temperature sensors and we can even put a couple of water sensors around your, your AC unit. This thing was the simplest thing I've ever seen deployed. I mean, turn it on, add it, you're done. It's there. I mean, it was the easiest thing. And it added so much value to the customer. The customer had no idea this was available. Once I put it on and they saw what I was recording or what I was collecting just from turning it on, it was a game changer for them. I think one of the things I want to call out, uh, because when you, when you just turn it on, it works. You sort of don't see all the hard work <laughs> that went into making that from our perspective. Uh, the thing is, if we do all the hard work, once it scales to everyone, which I, is a thing I really like. And so the thing I wanted quite specifically is the attention to security, because IoT is unfortunately this like gaping hole in the enterprise's armor because no one really paying much attention to it. 
uh, when it comes to digital and cybersecurity. And often the people making the decisions around it really aren't well informed or have the expertise to make correct decisions. This is especially true with physical security where people know about locks, doors, armed robbery, but have no idea about certificates or public key infrastructure. So like, there really is a sort of big gap where the IT organization needs to step in and like provide that type of expertise. So what have we done on MT? Because like I keep saying you just turn it on and it works and that's be like great if it was all safe and secure, which which it is. So what have we done? Well, because we manufacture the devices and we manufacture the gateways and we man and we own and run the infrastructure that connects all of these, we can just make an incredibly strong security story completely transparent. So on the Marquee sensors, we have Cisco's Act2 Trusted Anchor module. So this is a hardware cryptography module, which is on every single one of the devices when they're manufactured. So each device has a, a SUDI, a secure unique device identifier, and we provision the certificates that it will use to not only verify the gateways are valid Marquee gateways and the ones it should be talking to, but also our cloud infrastructure, but also to encrypt the communication of the data because you don't want your door alert sensor saying everything is fine when someone's inside your server room pulling out cables and destroying stuff. So you need to make sure that the communication is like verifiable and uh, hasn't been tampered with and that the device can be trusted and the device can trust the gateways. And all of this happens with you doing nothing as a customer. Um, but because we own all of the components of the infrastructure, it makes it very easy for us to do this transparently without you having to set anything up or manage any key infrastructure of your own and so on. And that's a pretty big deal. Um, I say we use Bluetooth low energy, but we only use the sort of transmission part of the spec. We don't use any of the Bluetooth security spec. We actually do something different. Um, and that's because it can be more robust. But importantly, so, some of the ways we do that are much friendlier for battery life. So the thing with the sensors is you get a five-year battery life when you look at very, very small power consumptions. So you're talking microamps, not milliamps, because you've got two AA batteries in there and they they are not like they're not a massive <laughs> sort of uh, laptop style battery. There's a tiny amount of power in the reality of things. So just as a sneak peek on the development process, our battery life was like not great. And we're like, why is battery life not great? I was like, oh, yes, because the LED flashes at too high a brightness. <laughs> like, so turning the brightness down of the LED and making sure it doesn't flash when it sends a reading, but only flashes when you press the button to see if it's okay, like drastically changes the whole battery life thing by maybe like a year. Just that flashing LED. So you've got to treat those poor AA batteries really carefully. Um, so you've got to think about it also from the cryptography perspective, which is a computationally expensive task. So most of the time, the sensors are asleep. They're, they're asleep almost all of the time. And they can get woken by, well, the SOC, the like uh, microcontroller on the devices asleep. And they can get woken by the sensor inputs. So when you set alerts, the device is actually asleep most of the time. And then when you open the door, or it detects water, or the temperature goes above a set threshold, it wakes the entire system, and then it communicates. And it can do that crazy fast. Um, can, so I can go from opening my door here uh, to getting an alert in dashboard within about two to three seconds. 
Which, when you think about the whole communication chain, where it's got to go from sensor waking to sending a Bluetooth transmission to an access point or to a camera, and then for that to send it to the cloud, and then for the cloud to notify me is very impressive. But when we thought about building IoT sensors, we got to think about what the point of them is, because I'm just a total data geek and would have all the widgets in the world if I was left to my own devices, but it's about use cases, high value use cases to help customers. And one we heard of from customers that we have lots of is making sure that Meraki equipment is safe because air conditioning hasn't failed, uh, someone hasn't come in and like unplugged something, various other things. So the use case is that making sure your stuff is safe and the most important thing is to know when it's not going to be safe quickly. So alerting is a priority in terms of our feature development for that particular use case. Now this isn't the only use case. I'm going to say server and monitoring is not the sexiest IoT use case in the world, but it's where we start, it's where we learn, it's where we develop our, our skills in an environment which we understand really well, and then we bridge to more, which you're going to be seeing next year. So you mentioned before that uh, the data on the cameras were uh, was stored uh, across the different cameras. They have their own storage on uh, on board. Uh, what happens with the data from the sensors? Does it get stored on the cameras or does it get sent to the cloud? So the sensors uh, upload their data periodically to the cloud if they're not work woken by an alert. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe at the moment it's every 20 minutes. So what will happen is the sensor will wait, will transmit it to a gateway, a camera or an access point, and that will then transmit it to the Meraki cloud and it's stored there. Now, if your sensor can't communicate for whatever reason, let's say, for example, you've had a power failure, the sensor is battery powered, so it's still going to keep capturing data, which is great because it helps after the uh, fact analysis of like maybe what happened with temperature or something else. Um, it can store up to five days of data in device. So it has a small cache and it can store all of that data. It's a looping uh, cache. So if you get to like day seven, you're going to start losing some, some data. But the moment it can talk to a gateway, it'll upload all of that and you'll be you'll be good to go again. But uh, compared to the cameras, which have up to half a terabyte of storage, there's quite a bit less storage inside the sensors. Hey, George, you mentioned something earlier that, that sparked my mind. You know, I've been playing in the IoT world for a few years and uh, I've got a couple of door sensors and I've one of my brands of door sensors when it's it's asleep and when you open the door, it wakes. But when the door is open, it remains awake and it starts to kill the battery. Um, does this sensor happen to work the same way? It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, the supposed default state is a closed door, uh, but it can't. I mean, we've been testing them with uh, the doors open. It does consume slightly more battery. Uh, you might not get five years, but you're not going to get like one month. Uh, you're going to get like three or four years. So it does consume more if you have the door like permanently open. Is it is it because it's awake or is it that now it, it wakes less often or, or wakes more often, I should say? Um, good question. I don't know off the top of my head. I think it's most likely related to us checking the magnetic field. So just to go into a little bit of detail, the door open close sensor uses a magnet. A more traditional system would use a magnet and a read sensor. So... A uh, little switch where the contacts are going to be closed when the magnet pulls the metal contacts together. Uh, we actually have a Hall effect sensor. 
So our Hall Effect sensor is able to read not only the strength of, but the orientation of the magnetic field, uh, which is a little more advanced. Um, it's, it's actually pretty cool to have a look at some of the data that can, that can be derived from that. Uh, and my expectation is running that to see if the magnets come back uh, is probably a little more costly when we're doing it uh, regularly. The cool thing about the Hall Effect sensor is we can know if someone's tampering with it. Uh, so if you get a magnet with a different uh, strength or polarization, because we can see the Tesla, the Miller Tesla values of the magnet, and you go try and pretend that your uh, door is closed, uh, we can alert in dashboard that someone's tampering with it. And I have, I have actually tampered with. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but I've tampered with uh, <laughs> Cisco's door security systems in the past in one of our offices because I was trying to take a time lapse from the balcony with a camera. And the uh, exit doors, the alarms get set after a certain time, and it, the security guard has to come and investigate every time it went off. So I just got some magnets from the whiteboard and just stuck them to the door, and it was fine. I didn't have any more problems. But uh, you can't do that with this because it knows it's a different magnet. <laughs> so uh, it prevents uh, people like me from uh, playing with the system. Uh, Cisco Talos has been uh, uh, alerted on your <laughs> breach of security. <laughs> <laughs> so um i want to i want to go back real quick to one the topic you're talking about earlier so we talked about how easy it is right and it just connects and it goes so there may be some individuals listening to the podcast who uh, may not have meraki networks today um or they might but if someone wants this and they want it to connect can you walk them through george how it connects to i know we said bluetooth uh low energy and everything what is what are the requirements for it to just turn on and function so you need a meraki compatible gateway so that's any meraki access uh, camera that has wireless so that's any camera made in the last two years so um, since 2018 uh, they all support it and they all have bluetooth uh, or you need one of our wi-fi six access points um, so for both those families of products they go from sort of uh, sub a thousand dollars to like close to $2,000 range, so you can pick your, your choice there. Now, the Wi-Fi 6 access points are relatively new, and I know there are millions of people with our sort of 802.11 AC portfolio out there, and we do hear you. We are backporting support for the sensors to as many of those older APs as we can. Um, this is the reality of product management. You have to make some calls. What were we going to launch with? And it's, it, it made the most sense to launch, first of all, with the support for the newest, latest, and greatest APs. But I'm hoping by the start of next year, we will have support for the older APs as well. So hang on in there. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to you. We have not forgotten. So you need one of those, and then you need a sensor, and they need to be in the same network in the Meraki dashboard. So if you're not familiar with the concept of a, a network in the Meraki dashboard, it's basically like a site. You create a site, it's called a network, and you put all your things that are Meraki in there. You need to have your sensor, and your gateway in that network, otherwise they won't talk to each other. That's how they work out they should pair and should send data to your dashboard. Oh, and how do you ide identify which sensor you're placing where? Can you name them or label them? Or So there are a couple of ways. You can do the standard add your order number. So if you buy any Meraki device and you add the order number to the Meraki dashboard, it imports everything you've bought, and you can just add that. Uh, you can add the individual serial number and just type it in, 
or you can scan the QR code on the back of the sensor using the mobile app, and that will also add it um, to the to the platform. Once it's added, its base name will be its MAC address, and then you rename it. So uh, I've, you know what? This is actually one of those things which sounds like a really stupid problem. It probably is, but like name them, and if you move them, update the name. Uh, I've been using these for quite some time now. They are. As, as I keep saying, and it's going to sound really stupid eventually, they are super easy to use. They're easier to use than like the Samsung smart things and home sensors I've tried. And I have 30 in my house. And what I've done is I've moved some and didn't rename them and then completely lost them. Like I have the data in <laughs> dashboard, but I don't know where it is. I don't know what it's doing. <laughs> I know it's on. I know it's talking to stuff, but I have no idea where it is anymore. So I've lost sensors for like a good month and a half where I was like, ah, I can't find it and it's not important. But it's, it's there sending me data. So give it a sensible name. And if you are uh, in the mood, this is also a good idea, is you take a mounting photo with that app and you can attach that in dashboard because then you don't you don't lose where they are as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, they're so easy and portable. Uh, you can move around, which is one of the reasons why they come with a security screw. Because uh, during the the trials, people are like people are just going to walk off with these. So uh, uh, they have that uh, torque screw for uh, IT teams to prevent people trying to walk off with them when they're attached <laughs> to the wall in a meeting room or something like that. On that same topic, what about um, finding them? Like you know, with a, with, a, with one of the Meraki access points, I can make the light flash. How do I, is there a way to identify which is which besides just looking at the MAC addresses? Uh, you, so it's an interesting problem. We can't have a flash button button. The reason we can't have a flash button button is because then that, uh, the sensor would always be having to check dashboard to see if someone has sent it a command saying flash the LED. And that's very para costly. So there isn't a button to press that says flash the LED uh, sensor. So it is a little trickier. Uh, one of the things that we did on the camera is uh, we, on the manual, and um, you should always read the manual, people. Like, <laughs> we put a lot of stuff in there that's really useful from a lot of research. It's surprising how many people don't read it. I think uh, just as a brief aside here, we did a whole suite of testing with our systems engineers, the Meraki systems engineers. We're like, follow these guys and give us feedback. And uh, we put GoPros on them. We're like, we, want, <laughs> we wanted to see what they did. We did this for cameras. Uh, and we were like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, we're, we're doing this way. I'm like, well, didn't you read the instructions? And they're like, no, we're engineers. We don't need to read the instructions. <laughs> so there is a lot of work that goes into those. It does make your life a lot easier. I know it's hard as an engineer to uh, read the instructions first. You read them later. But they're actually worth reading first. The other reason to read them first is they have these stickers on. Uh, with uh, uh, barcodes. And the whole point of that is it makes it so much easier to log what you're doing. Uh, so, for example, the serial number is on the back of your camera, and uh, when it's mounted on a wall, it's really hard to work out what it is if for some reason you can't um, uh, remember what the camera is called. So you can stick the serial number, and there are a number of them, on the side of the camera, so then you know what it is without taking it off. Uh, I also stick them on the pigtails or on the patch cable, so I know which one it's going to. And then, because there is couple of them uh, I often just have a, like a, a workbook 
and I take one of the serial numbers, I stick it down, and then I write a note next to it. So if you've got someone who doesn't have a phone or can't use the app or you don't trust them with a login for, <laughs> for a dashboard, then uh, you can use that approach. And it's the same with the sensors. It's got the barcode stickers. So all of mine now have the barcode sticker on them, and that's how I can uh, quickly keep track of which sensor they are, rather than being a very pleasant white rectangle. Um, one of the questions that I, I'm, I'd like you to go into was, so we talked a lot about the indoor temperature. We talked about the door open closes. We didn't really talk about the water leaks, uh, as much yet. Um, one of the things that we were talking about in the prep call was how you could daisy chain the sensor, uh, that hangs off for the water detection. Um, can, can we talk about that in conjunction with the fact that we've said everything can be, um, AA battery powered, right? But we do have the option for the AC adapter as well. And what exactly that is. For those of you who have not seen a picture, the water leak detection sensor is you have um, the Mackey sensor box. I think it's probably the way I'd describe it, but it's essentially you've got the batteries and the, uh, the microcontroller and the radio and the other components in. And then it has what looks like a headphone jack. So I really want to see someone like trying to wear one as like an iPod or something someday. I feel like that's a fun photo that's in my future. Um, no guarantees that it may not break your headphones or your sensor. But uh, that three and a half uh, mil type uh, jack plug, that's where you plug in uh, this water leak sensor. And so this is a special type of cable that has um, an insulator and a conductor like wound together. It's pretty stiff. Uh, this is unfortunately just like how they are. So give it a good bend, like really manipulate it to like lay it flat. And we give you clips in the bag to like lay it on the floor. So the water has to touch it and um, change the the sort of uh, conductance of the cable to make it to make it uh, detect that there's water there. Um, and you it comes with one, and you can buy a spare or you can pair two together. So the end of it actually has a female three and a half inch, uh, three and a half, three and a half millimeter jack plug and you can plug another one in. You can only have two. Don't plug more more in. It's not going to work. You can only have two. Uh, and then it's you've got like a pretty pretty long cable. Um, how can you use the cable? Uh, you can lay it on the floor and tack it down with the clips that we give you. Um, so that, that the idea here is you lay it around your rack. So the length of the cable should go round one forty-two u rack base uh, and that's if water is like coming across the floor heading towards the rack and going under your like uh raised floor you're going to catch it hopefully before it gets there um or you can put it on top of your rack we have people saying that air conditioning pipes leak and drop water onto the top of the rack uh so you can do that um another way you can use it uh is wrap it around something and then like stick it there so I have it wrapped around water pipes in my house that were leaking, and then you really quickly detect water coming out. Uh, we had a customer that had a sewage pipe in their server room in a retail shop. It sounds like a terrible situation, <laughs> but uh, apparently that leaked now and again. So you could like wrap it around the the, the pipe there. Um, it's it's a water leak sensor. So I've had uh, some questions about can we use it to detect gasoline or oil or other substance, and the answer is no. Uh, please don't do that. Um, the other thing is designed to detect water. It's not designed to detect the absence of water. So people putting it in fish tanks and other things uh, is not really designed for that use case. When it gets wet, 
it takes a little bit of time to dry out. Uh, so it's not really suitable for, for that use case. But this is the fun thing about the whole sensor world is they're very easy to use. They're not that expensive. And you could just give it a go and see what happens. Um, it may not be the use case we built it for, but uh, people do like experimenting. So one of our uh, audience had an interesting question. Um, he's saying uh, when we're designing a Meraki-based networking uh, consisting out of APs and MVs, what consideration do you need to take into uh, correctly support the BLE-based sensors? Do you need to worry about coverage? You don't need to worry too much. Um, the sensors are pretty easy going like they don't talk very often <laughs> like they really talk very infrequently um uh, and they don't need to send very much data so the cutoff is um i think neg 85 rssi like if it's worse than that they won't be able to transmit the the, the telemetry Mainly, they can actually transmit the telemetry, but mainly we need better than that because if there's a firmware upgrade or some like control command that goes to the sensor, that is more complicated than sending the telemetry data. Uh, it's pretty easy to achieve that in most scenarios. It is 2.4 gig, so remember that. Attenuation for 2.4 gig applies. Uh, remember that it is relatively low transmit power, so Think of Bluetooth on a smartphone. That's the type of range you're going to get. Um, based on our like our current use case, it all goes through like a wall uh, or, or uh, of like a drywall uh, standard type of office environment. Uh, solid concrete walls is going to be quite a bit more challenging that type of thing. Um, in terms of capacity planning, uh, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think we have like an a relatively sort of um, loosely defined limit of something like 12 sensors per gateway uh, but that's just because we had to create one and they don't talk very regularly so the load on the spectrum and on the device is really super low so if if you want 50 sensors per gateway come talk to me and the team we are interested in your use case how about troubleshooting you know i can i'm thinking back on like when i did my sensors off of my smart things and trying to figure out is this thing connected you know pressing the button to make them flash um yep. you know how's troubleshooting look on the dashboard for these you know is it is it's pretty different right because it's not a very clever device there's no my.maraki.com you can't plug an ethernet cable into it uh it doesn't even have an ip address <laughs> so it's it's really quite a different uh kettle of fish um so We've done quite a lot of work thinking about how to do that. There's a lot of reporting in dashboard. Uh, so you can see all the gateways it has seen, when it last communicated with them. Uh, you can see things like uh, the, the battery life. Um, we're going to be exposing more tools, but the support team also has uh, very detailed tools on like the sensor operations. So for example, a support engineer can um, see like the uh, the Miller Tesla readings over the last month for the door open close sensor. So one of the things that is challenging is that every single door is slightly different. And so where you put the magnet, if a customer hasn't put the magnet 
within the spec because they didn't read the install guide. Don't read the install guide. Please read the install guide. Um, then uh, it might not be triggering appropriately, or it might trigger intermittently. So you're like, my alerts are not very reliable. It's not actually the alerting backend that's unreliable. It's the sensors detection of the uh, um, magnetic field change is tenuous because the magnet is slightly too far away or offset. Uh, you can actually get away with a fair amount of offset, not completely parallel, um, because we can detect that the whole magnetic field, but there is still limitations. And so the support team have more granular tools to dig into what's going on um, with a customer uh, if that should happen. The button on the top is um, uh, a button you can use to do a bit of troubleshooting. You press it and the LED will then tell you what's going on. It'll tell you if it can talk to a gateway uh, or tell you if it can't, those other things. Is there a way to drive which gateway a uh, sensor goes to, or is it just pick whichever the closest one is? Uh, there isn't a way to drive it. And it, it, in theory, it doesn't really matter. One part of me is like, we shouldn't put anything in the dashboard that says which your gateway is, because it doesn't really matter as long as your data is getting to the dashboard. But then you really end up with a very boring interface, which doesn't really show you, <laughs> show you very much because it just works. Um, uh, it, you can't really do anything other than put it in a different place, simply in a different place. Um, I guess this is one of my, I don't, I don't want to say sort of uh, philosophies, but I want to take things away and automate because then it's more useful to more people. Uh, when we build features that you have to configure, inherently, the majority of people don't use it because you've got to configure it. So it's got to be automatic. Now, there's like the middle ground where it's automatic with some customization for people who have a bit more knowledge or uh, a more specific scenario. But ultimately, if you have to turn it on and configure it, most people won't, which means we get we don't get the greatest bang for our buck in terms of engineering time into things that people use and then get used from. So automation and uh, taking things away is always a way that I want to try and think about it. Um, and then sometimes we get that really right and sometimes we don't get it quite so right and we have to like add more tools so people can better understand what's going on. I know it's hard to let go as a techie. It's like, I want to know what's going on. <laughs> So talking about uh, automation, I was wondering um, if you, uh, uh, Meraki focuses a lot on uh, APIs and being programmable. So what are some of the things you can do with the sensors? Are you able to trigger some webhook or something like that from an alert? Yep. So there are webhook alerts for all the sensors. Uh, so you can then integrate that into whatever you want. Um, there is REST APIs to access all the data, which are not publicly available just yet. They are in preview. The reason they're in preview is they exist and they work. They're just, we need to make sure they meet our public API standards so that when they get shipped, they don't suddenly change and everyone's upset because the API has changed again. So that's that piece. Um, uh, I've seen some pretty cool integrations already from uh, colleagues and customers. Um, uh, is it Home Assistant? People have been integrating into um, and uh, had a customer actually controlling the air conditioning uh, with it using the beta API, which was pretty cool. Um, or uh, setting up some uh, web hooks to pull a frame from a camera uh, and then 
uh, send that to their phone via uh, MMS. I'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek about the sort of longer term. Uh, MT is one of the newer Marquee products or the newest Marquee product. And so everything has been built public API first. So it's a lot easier for us to expose more things to people. Uh, we just need to make sure they're stable and scalable when we do so. But I also want to integrate the ability to work with the sensors like other IoT devices in the way we are with camera. So the longer term plan is to try and make sure all of the data from the sensors is available via MQTT. It's just a subtopic from the gateways uh, because that will just allow you to integrate it into whatever your heart desires that probably already supports MQTT um, because it's your other IoT sort of telemetry platform. A slight insight, if in case you haven't heard me uh, talk about it, the wishes on dashboard. If you don't know about wishes, there's a box on uh, the Mackie dashboard that says make a wish. Uh, someone on my engineering team will read that within about 10 minutes. Like you really don't understand how powerful that is unless you work inside Maraki. But imagine that you could go speak to an engineer building the product you use and circumvent pretty much all the people that are normally in front of them, like the account manager, the SE, the product manager, the product director, and speak directly to an engineer. That is the wish box. I would say easily a third of everything we built is from that. Your wishes have great power. And the final thing I would add is because it just goes into a chat room and then everyone responds and talks about the incoming uh, questions, is please put why. <laughs> That's normally the first question we have. It's like, I want this. And then everyone's like, why do they want that? Or like, we already have that. But like, So if you're going to wish, put why. It's super useful. All right. Well, this has been another great episode of Cisco Champion Radio. I want to thank all of you out there for listening in today, and a special thank you to our guest and Cisco Champion host for being a part of today's episode. If you want to learn more about today's topic, just click on the link provided in the podcast description below. And just a reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform to receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button now. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you next Monday. Thank <laughs> you.